Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space. I guess you could have considered it like a material things fast. So while I still desired some of those things and I still very much would have indulged if I had the extra funds, because I had limited myself to just the basics and the necessities, my value systems inevitably change. You know, it takes 22 days to break a habit. I've been doing this for months. So the things that mattered the most started to not matter at all, just naturally, you know? Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all of the new beginnings that we have for this year. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace podcast and I have some exciting news for you. I just published my self-help book, How to Glow Up As You Grow Up, your go-to guide for overcoming obstacles and making lemonade. So if you've ever experienced loss, childhood trauma, a narcissistic partner or depression, this book is just for you. If you visit glowupbook.com, again, that's glowupbook.com, you can order your copy today and you will surely be inspired. So I hope that you decide to join me on this journey and I'll see you soon. Lady, today in her space, we have a very special guest, okay? Very, very special guest. Nicole Ray is a seer, shadow worker, and intuitive creator that reveals the duality of life, people, and existence with grit and grace. She's the host of the Black Milk Podcast, where she discusses a variety of uncomfortable taboo topics while simultaneously integrating the unseen aspects of existence that the common man often chooses to deny because it defies logic and the five senses. Black Milk is not for the faint of heart. So if you're brave, be sure to check it out. Nicole, welcome to Her Space. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to jump into this conversation today. Okay, so lady, get ready. You might want to pull out your notepad. Nicole is a teacher and healer over here, so you you don't know what you might get. I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Dom with our quote of the day, and then we're going to dive in with Nicole. Okay, so our quote of the day, only in a severely unnatural environment would you have to keep constant tabs on your evolution and be punished for merely existing. Nicole, that's your quote. We I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my exactly, exactly. So tell us what inspired you to come up with that quote. So recently, now I've been plant-based for about five years and I went back to seafood maybe last week and it wasn't until I allowed myself to do that, that I realized how much I was punishing myself for being a human, the trial and error, the up and down, the round and round, the the duality of it. You know, it was like, oh, if you eat this, you're not alkaline. If you eat this, you're not healthy. If you eat this, you're going to die from cancer. If you say this, you're not woke. If you, if you do this, you're not high vibrational. Like it was all of these limitations. And then I had to stop and think like, 
if I'm supposed to be free and sovereign and, and, and enlightened, how am I now enslaved to something else? So, you know, that quote kind of came from that place of like exiting religion and conventional living and normalcy just to enter another prison under the guise of consciousness and spirituality. Shit, I got goosebumps Ooh. over here. Okay, that was deep, right? You become so righteous and you're like, you become a, a prisoner of this new lifestyle, right? That's so deep. Nicole, can we just go back to basics? Can you talk a bit about your origin story? Because I think people might see you now on social media and, you know, you got this podcast, you have your resources online, you're living the life in Honduras, right? Living in the tropics, having your beautiful baby and your family and community. And I just need people to know like where you came from and what even motivated you to move. So can you just give us that story so they can really understand just how incredible it is that you are where you are and you're doing the work that you're doing in this capacity? Well, I like to consider myself a little bit of a mutt, at least culturally speaking. I was born in New Jersey. I don't remember any of that. Then we moved to the Bronx, and that's where I lived for the first few years of my life. My mother ended up dying from HIV when I was two. My father was incarcerated at that time, and for the majority of my life, I moved to Harlem while they fought over custody for me. My aunt on my mother's side ended up getting custody over me. And we moved to DC, a very bad part of DC. So it was pretty much like the Bronx all over again. So my aunt was like, oh no, we need to move to Maryland. So then we moved to Maryland, PG County. And that's pretty much where I went to elementary school, middle school. And then once I got to high school, I had shifted over to Montgomery County. And I always used to tell myself, after this shit, I'm going back to New York. Like I I can't do this. Like it was just such a culture shock, you know? And not only because of the difference, obviously, between New York and Maryland, but because my cousins and stuff, they're really for lack of a better term, they really gutter. So going to Maryland, you know, there were rough parts, but it was nothing like what I came from. So, you know, when I would go back to New York, they would kind of be like, oh, you're soft now. You changed. Oh, you're proper. You <laughs> you talk different now. You don't want to fight no more. Like we got some girls that we want to fight. You don't want to fight anymore. So I had this whole, like just the same imprisonment, like the one that I'm kind of describing now is like you exit one prison into another. So while many would say like, oh, you made it out the hood and you you know, you didn't get, to, you didn't have to stay in the projects and you now are in suburbs and go to a better school, better environment. It was kind of like, but then my family isolated me. So that was a big theme in my life. And then I went to college. I went to the University of Maryland, which is actually where I met Terry. And that was crazy. That's actually where I discovered that I had a gift and was going to be dealing with spirits and demons and things like that for the very first time, at least deliberately. And then I transferred to North Carolina A&T because I wanted to experience like, you know, a real, real, real HBCU like on drumline. So, you know, I did that. Then I dropped out. And then that's actually where I got more spiritual and started to dabble in a different book. I kind of woke up spiritually when I started reading the book of Secrets by Osho. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's an Indian guru and he's more so psycho spiritual than most of these gurus with these deep, like, like Sadhguru or Gandhi. Like he's not like that. He's very, very, very taboo like myself. Like a lot of my work is inspired by him. I'll share a disturbing excerpt from one of his practices maybe later. But when I started reading his stuff, I was like, my mind was blown open. And from there, it was a wrap. So, you know, that's pretty much my background in a nutshell. I, I could go into little pockets of stories and be on here for two days. So I didn't. I wanted to keep it real brief <laughs> for y'all's sake. That is super. I mean, that was a very great, concise way to just kind of share your story. I didn't even know about a lot of your background. So thank you for just kind of walking us through that. And I guess, you know, if you could kind of talk about, was there a moment that kind of made you relocate to the tropics? I think you went to Costa Rica first, right? And then I know you're in Honduras now. So what yeah. made you make that move? Because I know there are so many people in the States that want to do that, but they don't think it's possible, right? Are there so many misconceptions associated? So what made you like take that leap? When I started becoming health conscious, I went vegan because my body told me to stop. So it wasn't even a trend yet. And when I noticed that the water had fluoride and chlorine and heavy metals. And then when I realized that the air was full of chemtrails, and then I realized that the food was fake. And then even when I was eating meat, that it was pumped with hormones and arsenic. Like there were so many things I was studying that I was like, I got to get out of here. Like after I read everything that I read, that was, that was my only reason, just lifestyle quality. It wasn't anything super deep and spiritual. It became that later, but initially it was only for food quality, air quality, water quality, living quality. And I actually didn't plan on going to the tropics or relocating for a while. I planned on, you know, the typical saving up a bunch of money, planning it out, 
maybe buying a plot of land. And then at the time I was in a relationship with my son's dad and he was watching this guy named Nature Boy. And he was like, they out there, let's just go now. You know, and we went out there with like $80. I had never been out of the country in my life. So my first time moving was my first time leaving the country. I didn't visit first. I didn't really do any research. I kind of just jumped ship and went. So it's not the typical relocation story. Okay, wait. So I already know that we're going to have some listeners that are like, hold on, pause. You just left $80 in your pocket and you left. What were the, some of the thoughts and emotions that were coming up for you as you were deciding to make this journey? Because I could imagine, like you were saying, that you wanted to have it all planned out. And to me, when I think, okay, I'm planning this out, that means that, like you said, like I got X amount of dollars saved up and I'm going to be taking this step and this step and nope, $80, bam, I'm out. $80, that's it. And we're doing it. What were some of the thoughts and emotions that came up for you as you were going through that? Well, I'm impulsive by nature. So I already don't think things through and I'm already a thrill junkie. So when people start to ask me these more adult-like questions, I'm like, I'm a terrible person to ask. (laughs) So the plot thickens here, right? So because when we decided to leave, there was an active cult that's still active now. It's called Carbonation. They were in a variety of tropical countries and we were supposed to actually go there. And I never liked the guy, but my partner really liked him. So I was like, well, maybe I should go. And they, you know, they were making it seem like I wasn't woke and I wasn't conscious and I wasn't this and I wasn't that. And then he said something like, you know, when you get here, you know, because he liked me and he wanted to be with me. And his thing was any woman that came there, even if you came with your partner, he had to have access to you sexually. So he was like, yeah, you know, you, you're able to articulate yourself. This is before there was an Nicole Ray, right? So he could tell that I was a good speaker and I could get the message out. So he was like, yeah. And we do this thing called transference, you know, bro, like she a girl, but then, you know, she might want to experience me. She might want to experience so-and-so. So basically I passed girls around and I got mad and I flipped out, but we had already got our plane ticket. We already threw all of our stuff away. I, I was doing hair, Terry. Remember when I met you, I was doing faux locks. So I had, my business was booming at that point. I mean, Chrisette Michelle had already reached out to me. Like I was there and I threw it away when I hit my peak with hair. So I had already told all my clients that I was quitting and I was leaving. So I was like, we still going. Like, you know, we ain't got to go over there, but we're still going to go. And so in the midst of us going, two girls had escaped the cult. It was one girl that was like his main girl in the very beginning before things got crazy. Her name was Yaya. And then there was another young lady. And they exited and we had been in contact with them, you know, helping them through the psychological and emotional shift out of something traumatic like that. And so when they ended up getting a house, we were like, oh, we're on our way. So we ended up staying with one of them and they showed us what they knew as far as getting a phone chip, how to convert colonists to U.S. dollars, how to found a place on Craigslist or a Facebook group, how to know if it's a scam, how to get money sent to you. But We had cash app, so we were fine. But Western Union, how to get through the language barriers. I had known a decent amount of Spanish from middle school, but even just with body language and just having the confidence to use context clues and things like that. So having them there, even though we didn't even know them, you know, we knew them over the internet, but we didn't really know them either. So it was kind of like another risk. So that was that. And we lived very minimally as well. That was a huge part. We only had a tent, some Vibrams. Those are those shoes you use for mountain climbing. We had like a raincoat. Because we were supposed to be going to his camp and all they, he basically said, throw your life away, cut your family off and come out here with a tent and, and, and some rain stuff and some boots. So we only had like maybe four outfits in rotation. Like our lives were like gone. So it wasn't that hard to sustain ourselves. And I maybe came with a bunch of herbs, you know, cause I wanted to detox. That was something I really wanted to do. And the first house that we actually arrived at had fruit growing on the land. So we were eating a lot off of the land. We would go to local fruit stands. There was just so much abundance of fruits that it was kind of hard to go hungry unless it was like a craving for greasy junk food, like Chinese food or something like that. But all of the clean food that we would have wanted, it was like right there. So it wasn't that hard unless I wanted to sustain the lifestyle that I had in the States. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. Wow. I have a few questions, but I'm going to try to stay focused here, Nicole, because you, you yes. threw a lot at us at, yes. at one point. That was just like, oh my God. Was it hard to let go of your material things? Because I know like 
you know, your appearance and it seems like I'm assuming, so let me know if I'm wrong, but like your relationship with possessions may have changed over time. I think you wore your hair differently before and then you changed, like, was it hard to let go of the life that you had before? Because I aspire to be a minimalist, but like, and I know you said you're impulsive. You went from letting go of all your things to you, like we had a tent, we ate off the land and that's like a stark difference. So how was that process? Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting because I feel like when you first quote unquote wake up, the first thing that you're expected to do is lock your hair up, throw everything away, start wearing fabrics. Everything is now organic and sustainable and natural. You're only using shea butter and oil. So that was fun. But I also realized that I had self-esteem issues that I didn't really deal with. So I kind of hit that under the natural lifestyle. Like I'm going to lock my hair in free form so that I don't have to care about my appearance so that people won't know that I actually care about my appearance or I'm going to wear the most basic clothes so that I don't have to be in competition with anyone with their nicer clothes. And I'm going to disguise that as, you know, minimalism and being natural and not being so vanity driven, right? Because I'm pretty materialistic, not in a vanity kind of way. I've never been a name brand girl. I've never been like, I'm going to drop thousands of dollars on a purse. I've never been like that per se, but I've always liked nice things. And in my relationship with my ex, He was very much doing the same thing, but in a different way. He kind of denied himself of a lot of the things that he very much would have enjoyed under the guise of we're minimalists, we're not vanity driven, we're not materialistic, we're woke, we're not, you know, just not being like that flashy person, not because we really don't want to be that person that enjoys the material realm, but because if we don't have it, we don't want to deal with the reality that there might be something stopping us from getting it. So we dress it up as this holier than thou woke thing which kind of ties directly into that quote that you said in the beginning of the episode. That's where that stems from, just hiding a bunch of things and becoming a prisoner to the same things that you kind of are saying that you got away from, but you're right back there. You just have a facade over it. I think I answered your question. I can't even tell. See, this is what I meant about the tangents. <laughs> but no, like, I, I think you did answer the question. And, but, and I say, but no, like, in terms of like the tangents is that like, it's still valuable information that you're sharing with us. And I appreciate you inviting us into your story, right? Because I think that there are so many of us out there that can relate to what you just talked about, right? Like this need for material things and then us having to figure out for ourselves, identify for ourselves, where is this need coming from? Well, one thing I also could add is that with material things, when I did deny myself of it, I guess you could have considered it like a material things fast. So while I still desired some of those things and I still very much would have indulged if I had the extra funds because I had limited myself to just the basics and the necessities, my value systems inevitably change. You know, it takes 22 days to break a habit. I've been doing this for months. So the things that mattered the most started to not matter at all, just naturally, you know, like I didn't really, like I used to have this whole routine, wake up, wash my face with hot water, put this thing on my face, exfoliate, rinse it, put the lotion on, deodorant, moisture, like that whole regimen went out the window. Like my life was totally different. I didn't put anything on my face. And then with my diet changing and eating off the land, I didn't even need a face product. And then it's so hot out here. I didn't need to put anything on. So lotion, all these expenses just start dropping and you start realizing like, damn, I don't need all this stuff. Or when you have $80 and you're like, oh my God, I don't have paper towels. It's kind of like use a rag and go outside and hand wash it and let it dry on the line with the sun, which takes a couple of hours because it's really hot here. So, you know, just little small, subtle things like that really just shifted. So my, like, I kind of started living like a local in a lot of ways, like, you know, things that I wasted a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of energy on was just kind of like a distraction from how weak I, and, and convenience based I had become, you know, like even when I moved to Honduras, that was a whole nother layer of how weak I really was when I had to hand wash everything because there were no washing machines here. Wash my sheets, wash my blankets, wash my son's clothes, wash my clothes, wash my partner's clothes by hand, rinse them, bring them, hang them on the line, dry them. And then it changes everything. So you, now you're wearing clothes two and three times and you're realizing they're not even really dirty unless you really go and do something crazy, you know? So then you're like, okay, I can salvage this two more times or like, it's just 
it just changes. I hope you guys can piece together how different it is, but it's, it just changes a lot of little subtle things that most of us overlook because they're normal, you know? Yes. And so what I'm curious about, because as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, we take for granted a lot of the conveniences that we have in America, right? Or in other industrialized nations. Like it just makes me really grateful for the like the things that I do have. And but also reminds me that that means I'm also fully capable of taking care of self without those things, right? So in a moment when my dishwasher isn't working, well, I can wash my dishes by hand, all of them. It's not a big deal, you know? And so what I'm curious about is how long has it been since you left the States? and What are some of the other misconceptions? Because you've mentioned quite a few already, right? Just naturally as you were talking. But what are some of the other misconceptions that people have about living in the tropics or living somewhere outside of the States? Okay. So I believe I moved to Costa Rica in 2016. Yeah, it was 2016, sometime around there, because I had my son in 2018. But I was back and forth because, again, I didn't plan, I didn't save. So there were very much times where I'm like, yeah, this isn't working, I got to go. But I did a long stride when I first left. Like, it was a long stride, and then I got pregnant, and I needed more support than that of which my son's dad was offering me, and I didn't have that many friends yet. So I went back to the States and spent the majority of my pregnancy in the States. And when I hit eight months, I went back to Costa Rica and I spent another long stride there. So I did a lot of back and forth, but it started in 2016. Now, there are two types of expats. And this is something I've been talking about recently because I created a PDF for, quote unquote, unprivileged people to relocate to the tropics because I want them to understand that everybody always goes into these tangents about talking about Africa and our roots and our ancestors, where we come from, what they used to do. But nobody's implementing that stuff into their day to day life as is, you know, and that's a huge culture shock when you get to the tropics, like some of the things I was already sharing with you. So, for instance, there are people that and this is not a race or culture thing. These are just this is just a a familial. Where did you come from and what were you able to do? So some people, they relocate to the tropics. They they're living off of a parent's inheritance or they, they grow up in money. They grow up wealthy. So they buy a plot of land, they visit, they scope it out, they get a house built, they bring their whole entire life from their country of origin, they come to that country, they have a baby there, or they invest one of the residency requirements, they meet it, they go through the residency process, and they actually fully relocate. And then they just live like they were living wherever they were before. And there's nothing has changed but the environment. Now, there are little cultural things that might shift depending on how much you want to embed yourself. But with us unprivileged people that don't come for money and don't have it like that or don't have any family there or a person to help guide us or don't have the immediate third dimensional means to go and visit and figure things out or whatever. Like if I had to generalize it, I would just say it's not impossible. Like your journey ends up unfolding based off of the life that you're already living and how you already believe the world to be set up. And sometimes you might even surprise yourself when you get there. I mean, when I got to like, I didn't have any nervous meltdowns until I got to the house when I got off the plane. I wasn't nervous getting on the plane. I wasn't nervous on the plane. I wasn't nervous on the three hour car ride to the house. It wasn't until I got to the house and I took my first breath and I looked around and I had a meltdown right there because I noticed that if anything happened, I don't have family around the corner. I don't know this girl right here. And for some reason, I just hadn't thought about any of it all this time. I'm with my partners, just me and him. We don't have any money. It was just bogus. Like for the first time I was like, yo, I'm wilding like this. <laughs> that went too far this time. But it w- it was just like a day by day thing. You know, we live life in America planning for weeks, for months. Oh, this is my schedule. This is what I'm doing at this time, this time, that time. So I guess the largest misconception, if I were to kind of, because I could go on and on and on again, would be like how different reality is when you exist on the outskirts of time. It's very different. If you like to view the world within the matrix construct, like if you say that America is the matrix or 
you know, this is a fake world or not, or not a real reality. Like there's no matrix when you get to the, the bush. I'm not talking about like the inner city. I'm talking about when you get to the bush where there's just plant life and jungle, that matrix construct is not there. So time is different. The frequency is different. The rate by which you are shown yourself is different. Like there might be a little glitch in the matrix here and there in America where you might be on your way to work and somebody spills coffee all over you. You'll be like, that never happens to me. What's going on? You'll be flustered because your day's pretty smooth and predictable, right? That's like a glitch in the matrix. Every day is like that in the tropics. So <laughs> the largest misconception is that you're going to have control over your experience. You're, you're not going to have control. Your subconscious is going to take over. Your vices that you may not have been aware of are going to take the forefront. Your insecurities are going to be painfully apparent. Your temperament, your addictions, your your demons, your darkness, all that stuff is just going to be like, hey, girl, we missed you. Where you been? That's the first thing that happens. And I think that's the largest misconception. They think that they're going to come out there. It's going to be coconuts and sunshine, the beach, the jungle, the all. There are going to be bugs that are half the size of your hand, if not bigger. There are going to be monkeys in your backyard. There are going to be jaguars in the mountain. There are going to be there's going to be things that you don't plan for. And like there's been a girl even one time she wanted to rent my house in Costa Rica. And I said, hey, listen, this is not I know it's pretty when you see me online and stuff. But this is I live in the jungle. I live tucked away in the jungle. So I live a lot with a lot of animals. I don't have screens on my windows. I live in a rustic cabin. Anything can get in my house. My roof is not closed. Anything can crawl in here. Snakes, whatever. That's just something I would deal with moment to moment. And she was like, oh, no, girl, it's fine. She didn't last a week. She was right back in the States in the middle of the pandemic. And I said, why are you leaving? It's a pandemic, girl. You you safer out there. She said, <laughs> I got to go back to the States. She made up all this stuff. But I was like, this is what I'm saying. Like she thought she was going to come. She did enjoy the beach and she took her pictures and drank her coconuts and had her fruits, but she couldn't live out there. She couldn't deal with the reality that she was just that far removed from nature and that scared of it. Like when I first got to the tropics, I killed everything in sight and they just kept coming back. There was, you couldn't kill. I would kill an army of ants. And they would just be another army there. Like you can kill, you'll be killing nature every single day if you really try to control that. So it has to get more specific than that if you can, because it's so many different pockets I can dip into. It's, it's insane. Well, let's dip into that pocket with the animals. Yeah, because, <laughs> like how do you, because I think that's real of as humans, we are part of an ecosystem. Right. And Animals are part of that ecosystem and how we are trained to live. I say trained, but, you know, socialized to live in industrialized countries is that unless it's a pet. It's not welcome in our home. Right. And unless it's in the zoo, then the animal should be killed. Right. Like it belongs in the zoo. That's the way we've been socialized. And so you're saying that you moved to Costa Rica, you moved to Honduras, and you're in a space of, all right, let me figure out how we coexist. So I need to know, how did you get from that place of being that American who's scared of the animals to now I am going to coexist with what's around me? Oh, girl, man. That journey was insane. I mean, when I first got there, like I told you guys, I was killing everything that I saw and they just kept coming back by the number. I mean, they, I was in their domain and I didn't even realize it. I was like, this is my house. So my landlord was like, you know, she was used to American clients. So she's like, we can come spray. And then she sprayed. This is my first lesson in killing insects. She sprayed. And then literally everything that came to my porch died. So I woke up one morning and there were millions of insects dead. And I was like, and I was like, what have I done? Like, and I broke down crying. I mean, big, beautiful crickets, dragonflies, purple, like all these exotic bugs. They were just minding their business and were hit with that pesticide and dropped. The geckos that lived in my house, they were dead. Like everything that was, I I just, after that, I, I I really didn't kill anything since unless it was a mosquito. Right. So then. When I moved to a couple other houses, they weren't that bad. It was the basics, maybe a small spider or two, a mosquito. Every house in the tropics has geckos everywhere. I live with geckos now. They're everywhere. They, they drop shit on my bed. They, they're, they're shitting everywhere. It's like having a pet. Um, but they eat the mosquitoes, so that's a perk. 
And so I got used to that. You know, I find their eggs somewhere. I try not to step on them. I've crushed them a few times because they lay them in weird places like my underwear. And then I shake them and then there's eggs. It, it gets, you know, odd, but they're cool. And then I moved to a couple of houses. Now there was this one house in Costa Rica. This is the, probably the deepest in the jungle and the most open that I've ever lived. And I saw the house and there were no walls. It was just opened like this. It was just open like this wide. Shoot. What could I compare it to? Like maybe even like my, my kneecap to my ankle since this isn't on video. It was that wide and anything could get, I mean, a freaking animal could get in, forget a flying thing. Right. So I looked at the house and my son's dad was like, she not gonna move in here. And I was like, how much you want to bet? Right. And I'm a new mom at the time. My son is like one month and the, but the house was beautiful. Like the architecture was like insane. Like the way he built it, like the wood, the, the, it was beautiful, but it was open, more open than my little rustic cabin that I just described to you guys. But this was my self-induced initiation back into nature. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to move in here. I don't care. And he said that no one ever rented that house because it was too open and women were petrified that snakes would get in and whatever. So I'm moving now in, in the tropics, you typically have a mosquito net. Now I haven't had to have one since I've been in Honduras, but in Costa Rica, you need a mosquito net over your bed. It kind of looks like a canopy. I moved in and I had my first night, you know, I set up my little essential oils diffuser and I cut off the light and then I closed my eyes for a second. I opened my eyes. There are 50 bugs on my mosquito net and I'm just in the net. Like, I mean, like they're like seven praying mantises that are like bigger than what you see on TV. There's these big beetle bugs. They're the flying roaches. They're birds flying in and out of my bedroom or bats. They're just going crazy and they're loving this light because nobody else uses lights because they're, they're in touch with their circadian rhythm. So when the sun goes down, they go to sleep. I'm the only one that's up because I'm used to living in America. So the bugs are just like, oh, we out, we up, then we shoot, we up. So they up with me. I'm petrified. So now I can't, I don't, out at that house, I wasn't even using the bathroom at night. My son's dad, he didn't tell me at the time, but he said that he saw a tarantula in the house. I would go to the bathroom. There would be frogs all over uh -uh. the floor. I'm like, where, where are you guys coming from? You know? And it was just, it was just absurd every day. Like it was a new insect that I've <laughs> never seen before that I could not identify or an insect that I didn't even know grew that big. I saw purple crickets that were the size of my hand. Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty. But when did you come out? <laughs> like what addition is this? You know? And every morning I kind of got used to like this one bird was flying and he would run into the door because he was just trying to fly. And that was the good thing though. Like since it was so open, they wouldn't get stuck in the house. They would just pass through, but they were still passing through. So all these birds, some birds ran into me. I'd be walking past. They're just flying through. It was bogus. And there were a lot of mosquitoes in that house as well. But that was my initiation. And I, I had so much anxiety and so much fear. And I couldn't, kill. I mean, even if I wanted to kill these bugs, they look so confident mm -hmm. in their bug life <laughs> that they weren't running from me. They were like, you should run because this is, you know, so that was my biggest thing. And then after that house, I pretty much wasn't scared of anything, like not flying roaches, not, I wasn't scared of anything. Like you, you really had to come hard for me to be like, oh, not kill that. Or I got to get out of here. That is so intense. That was, um, that is super intense. And I'm just, yeah, now, I didn't get attacked. I didn't get attacked by an insect of, or animal of any sort till Honduras. I got stung by a scorpion, but none of them attacked me in Costa Rica, which I found surprising because I was there longer. Initiation is the perfect word to use for that experience because, like, if you, some people are just not built for that. At this point in life, I'm not. But you know, you can always aspire to build up to those things. One thing I do want to ask about because right. I love to tune into Nicole's lives. Okay, if you've never. Tune into her Instagram lives. They are so entertaining. Literally, I will tune in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to only listen for five minutes. And then I end up tuning in for the whole hour. They're so good. So entertaining. And one thing you talked about recently, you talked about folks relocating with this grand vision in mind, only to find out that it's the same shit that they had at home, right? If they don't come with like a goal in mind, you right. talk about their spiritual journey and you talked about shadow work. And so when you think about, you know, relocating with this goal in mind, like, what are the things that came up for you around shadow work and your spirituality as you were on that journey? And like you said, your subconscious, your demons, everybody's like, hey, girl, we've been waiting, right? It's quiet. You're not in the matrix. Now we can really yeah. get to you. What has that journey been like? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Before I was even calling it shadow work, I was just a flat out psychopath. Like, man, it was like everybody's demons came out to play. Like, it, and we couldn't even help it. Like, and that's why I'm trying to. 
I guess, push the reality of shadow work so hard because there are a lot of people online calling themselves shadow workers, but they're still passive aggressive and they still won't show you their shadow aspects. They're afraid of your shadow aspects and they don't want to argue. They don't want any dissonance. They don't want any conflict. And I'm like, you literally need conflict to do shadow work. That's the pit of it, you know? So for instance, when we were in Costa Rica, we were having like a lot of quarrels. Like it was me, my son's dad, and a couple of friends that were living with us. And we had so many big drawn out fights. I'm surprised nobody called the cops, but it was just like chaotic, like, and not even over anything crazy. It was just repressed rage, repressed insecurity, repressed anger, repressed disgust, repressed things that maybe in America we were distracted enough to keep at bay, but in the tropics, it was like, oh, game time. So everybody's feelings started to come out, how they really felt, what they really thought, how they really behaved. Like you couldn't stuff it away. And it was like, I love chaos. So I didn't really shy away from that. Whereas other people were like, yo, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of here thinking that it's the tropics when it was them. So I guess the reason that I ended up being in this journey the way that I am is that I was never really running from that chaos or that feeling of danger. I mean, I mean, there was one situation where we had all gotten such a big, crazy argument. Like I let off so much. I exercised so many of my demons. I walked outside and I didn't know who I was and I didn't know where I was. And I was just outside aloof and I was very confused. So my friend came out and was like, Nicole, what, what you doing? And I was like, huh? And I was just like out in the middle of the street. Like I had never been so empty inside, like clear that I, I had nothing. No, there was no ego. There was nothing to cling to. Like everything that I could have been hiding or tucking away or building a facade around, it was just gone. So I was like, wow, this, this is a clear space. And that's when I discovered my zero point. So now when I do shadow work, I know what my zero point feels like. Most people in the States that have anger issues, drug issues, addiction issues, codependencies, they don't know their zero point. This is when you hear about men abusing women or people killing people, people killing themselves, people harming other people, people fighting. They don't know their zero point. So they don't even understand that that's a repressed part of themselves. They're just impulsive and reactive. But usually when I'm doing shadow work, whether it be a deliberate session with myself, not involving people, or if it is involving people now, at least. Whereas before it would just be an argument and then I would just keep my findings to myself because I would sound absolutely out of my mind. Now I'm like, okay, this is what's happening. I know what part of my childhood this comes from. I know why she's angry. I know what you're triggering. I know what you're triggering inside of yourself, but that's not my business. And I'm going to use this to better navigate my internal world so that I'm not a victim to it. And so that I'm not repressing it and acting crazy all of the time or snapping all of the time. Like you'd be surprised how many of your behaviors and eating habits and sleeping habits and, and anxiety and depression and thought like suicidal thoughts, psychotic thoughts ever been on the top of a building and something in your head just says jump. Like people tell me that that happens all the time. And I'm the first one that said it out loud. And they were like, yeah, there's times where I'm like on a rooftop and I look down and something just tells me jump off the roof. You know, this is like shadow stuff, like you, your, your inner child being so trapped in the furthest corner of your psyche that she's like, yo, please just kill us because <laughs> you're going to keep me locked in here for the rest yeah. of your adult life. And I don't think yeah. I want that for us. So, you know, let's just kill ourselves. And but there's no emotional discrepancy there. So people are like, no, that's not my thought. But it is, you know, I think, Terry, I think we have the same question of you mentioning shadow work. And I know that a lot of our listeners might not know exactly what that means. So can you tell us like what exactly is shadow work? Shadow work is pretty much inner child work. So all of us have an inner child, right? Now, from the age of maybe when you're in the womb to about seven years old, everything that happens in between that time is severely programming you. These are where your beliefs are built. This is where your security is established. This is where your power, emotional security, sexual security is established. The, all that stuff, the, the, the lower chakras, if you will. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the chakra systems, but it's the root chakra, the sacral chakra, the solar plexus, and up until the heart chakra. That's the, the window where those are developed, right? So in that time, certain things might happen in your childhood that will cause you to repress those things that are supposed to be empowered, let's call them birthrights, right? So your root chakra will be the right to be here, the right to have, or your sacral chakra will be the right to feel and the right, the right to want or desire. And then your solar plexus will be the right to your willpower, your right to act, right? So if you're three and you try to go and reach for something and your mother slaps you and says, oh, touch that, there goes your right to act. That's a birthright that you have all rights to. 
that phase, that window is supposed to be about self-gratification. And this is going to get a little taboo and save it. But I was going to say that's also what Satanism is. Satanism is it's self-gratification. A lot of people think it's a religious thing, but it's self-gratifying for the sake of self-gratifying. Now, when another birthright might be compromised, let's, let's say your mother's unstable and she's on drugs. So now your right to be here and your right to feel safe has been compromised. That's your root chakra. So now you feel unsafe, not only in your body, she might even abuse you. So now your body doesn't feel safe. So you don't feel safe inside your body. You, you're not allowed to act. And then you start to cry. What the F you crying for? You get beat up again. Now your right to feel is compromised. And then you're in the corner exploring your sexuality with your cousin. Y'all get caught and then you get beat for that. There goes your right to feel and to desire, right? So all of these birthrights get compromised. You repress them and they still want to be acted on. But for the sake of survival, be it psychologically or emotionally or even physically, you deny yourself for protection. That's what your subconscious mind is for. It's trying to protect you. So now here we are 25 years old. We still don't feel safe inside of our body. So now we have nervous conditions. Now we have anxiety. When certain situations, environments, smells, sense trigger us, we don't feel like we can act or speak up. That goes into the higher chakras. That's more in like adolescence, teen years. But it all goes back to some, some birthright that was compromised that our parents, if they were conscious, connected parents fully, they would have allowed us to self-gratify. That's why the terrible twos are like, we excuse that, but every other age is kind of like we get punished for it. But two-year-olds are a living example of like, they do whatever they want. They call them demon seeds. It's like a correlation, <laughs> Satanism, self-gratification, yeah. demon seeds. They're self-serving. They do what they want, when they want, how they want. They can bite you, curse, spit. And you're like, oh, they're two. But you see an adult doing it, which is pretty much a two-year-old that never got to act it out. They're getting sent to a mental home, right? So shadow work, and a lot of people think that the shadow self and the inner child are different. They are the same person. It's just that the inner child has become so contorted and twisted and dark that now it looks like a demon or a shadow when it's really just a child that you don't recognize anymore because you haven't allowed her the space to feel, to act, to speak, to love, to be loved, etc. So inner child work and shadow work is the act of allowing that inner child or that shadow self to come up and holding space for it instead of banishing it like it's a demon or instead of rejecting it like it's dangerous. It's going to feel dangerous, but that's where, where self-trust and stuff is brought back into the picture because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm starting to feel crazy. I got to distract myself. or I got to get high. I got to drink or I got to go to the club. Or I got to, and you repress it more because she just wants to be seen or wants to be heard. But if you do it in an unhealthy way, you develop a vice, a habit, an addiction, et cetera. So it's just the act of becoming conscious of those things, working through them, not being afraid of them, not demonizing them. Religion makes that very hard. So nobody wants to do it because it's like, oh, I'm possessed. You might get possessed by anger, but it's you. It's not an outside force. It's your own mind. It's your own thoughts. We're telekinetic beings. So our minds and our thoughts can create energy. And if that energy is charged up for 25 years, that's a whole demon right there. You charged it. You wow. created it. This is yours. This is mm -hmm. your creation. You know what I'm saying? But people don't see it like that. And if you study demonology and thought forms and energies, that's all it is. And if it gets trapped in a house because people live there mm -hmm. for 50 years and the house is haunted, it's a thought form. That's a demon. That's an energy, you know? So real quick, we're just going to skip our OU Clatchet segment because we don't have a bunch of time with you and we got to dive more into this content. Can you talk about if someone is like, okay, that resonates with me, Nicole. Like I was denied these opportunities, you know, when I was younger. And so I didn't get a chance to act this out. And you're an adult now. How do you work through, how do you face that shadow and how do you give yourself a chance to express those things that have been suppressed for so long, whether it's sexually, whether it's all the different ways that you've listed, how do you do that work? So a lot of people are doing it and they don't even realize it. You have to self-gratify. So, and this is why I've, I don't know if you guys have been following me lately, but I've been attacking the vegan community because I was a culty, abusive vegan. I've been attacking the light worker community, the conscious community, the, all those communities because they're denying people their right to self-gratify. That has to happen to get over addiction. That has to happen to get over vices and habits and things. You have to really go through it. Like, let's say you have a sugar addiction. You know what I would do? I would eat cupcakes to the point that I was disgusted with myself. And then I would feel what it was that I was running from because I've satiated the craving, but it's not going away. So now here I am all fat. I got icing all over my face. I'm feeling disgusting. I'm bloated and I still don't feel good. Because I'm so, I'm getting, I'm getting it all. I'm not denying myself of it. So now I'm sitting in it and it's like, well, how do you, what are you running from? It's like, oh, I don't feel safe. I don't feel happy. And you're looking for like a dopamine release. I'm not, I don't feel loved. I don't feel good. I, I just don't feel good. 
You know, there's not good feelings that happen throughout my day, you know, things like that. Or if you, you're just a really sexually aroused person and you're like, I love sex. I say you go have sex till the cows come home. And then maybe you might find a situation where you just meet the right mate that ends up bringing specific types of things out of you that you have to deal with. And you thought you were there for sex, but lo and behold, you got shown to yourself. So I'm not really in the business, at least not anymore, of people denying themselves of what they should and shouldn't do, because those are the things that are going to mirror us to ourselves and then show us like what it is that we're running from. Now, if you get in a situation, because like I said, a lot of people do shadow work and they don't even know they're doing it. I don't even care for the label, honestly. That's just for context. But you know, when you're in a situation and you realize like, yo, I was in an abusive relationship and he was terrible, but wait, what kind of condition must I have been in to even attract somebody like that? Like how much must I not love myself for, to get a man that would really choke me out and try to kill me? Or if I, I spend all my money on makeup and stuff, how ugly must I think that I look in order mm-hmm. to keep doing this? You know, it's like questions, you know, asking yourself questions. And when you get uncomfortable, not running to distract yourself and sitting in it and sitting in it is not a deliberate okay, this is what you do step by step. And that's why people don't like shadow work because it's not an exercise. It's not like a, okay, first you breathe and then you, your best bet is to find somebody that does it with themselves all the time and get them to shaman you through it. Cause that's pretty much what a shaman is. They walk you through the darkest corners of your psyche, your soul, but sit it, not running anymore. That's if I had to put it in a nutshell, just not running from the feeling, the discomfort, even the suicidal thoughts. That's my favorite one. Everybody has suicidal thoughts. But they're like, oh, whoa, like that's that's not me. But it is, though. Why are you running from it? Why 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 are you denying the idea that you might not want to be here? You know what I'm saying? And exploring that and getting into that. And it might not be an outright answer at first. It might just be like all feeling because it hasn't been felt to its full capacity. But once you really allow the feeling to flow, then certain answers will start to get, you know, come to you. Or you can even ask you like your inner child will answer you. Like sometimes I'll be like, well, what's I can feel anxiety and I'll be like, what's wrong? And she'll be like, I want to kill everything in sight. Oh, whoa. Pump the brakes, sis. Why? Like, and it <laughs> right. won't be a why. I just want to. Because yes. children are irrational, right? So it's not going to be because the ex that hurt. No, it's going to be like, nah, I'm out for blood. That's just it. Okay. That's okay. And then you meet it with compassion. You don't meet it with fear. You don't meet it with rejection or banishment or religion pro- religious programming. And then by that point, this is you still. So you're not dealing with a separate thing you'll start to feel more comfortable in your body. And then you might even start to cry or you might answers just might start coming to you or certain episodes will replay that you thought you forgot about, but your inner child would like literally start showing you like, remember this, remember, remember that something you thought nothing of because you just pushed it away. But like, remember when that guy embarrassed you or remember when they took that toy or remember that time when, when that guy climbed into bed with you, like just those things. And you'll know exactly what it is that's making you feel suicidal and you'll have more space. And then when those feelings creep up again, you'll be like, Oh, that's her again. And you'll be able to answer that call instead of, you know, repressing it. So I would say it would just being honest about those subtle feelings that we think are just, you know, all these external things when it's really us, you know. This is really beautiful. You know, as I'm listening to you, it sounds like the the shadow work of tapping into your inner child sounds very similar to me in terms of some of the work that I do with clients in therapy. Right. Of creating that space where you can sit with whatever emotions are coming up and allow yourself to kind of explore and kind of discover what are like, as you call them, like demons that are keeping you from being your fullest, freest self. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's deep work. And granted, I know I I go on tangents here and there about who is not doing what, but it's, it's such important work that I think that my emphasis is centered around that. Because like, if you look at what's happening on the news, that is a bunch of repressed shadows acting out. They're not angry at the president and race. They're angry about stuff that they never Mm. dealt with. And they're using that as the scapegoat. So, you know, even when I see stuff like that, I'm like, wow. You, you guys have just held this in for a long time and now everything's up in yeah. flames, you know? And then there goes hell, you know, hell's yeah. full of demons. Like it's, it's kind of like that. This was super fun. I mean, I don't think we've ever skipped the, oh, you clash your segment. So we'll have to do that another time, Nicole, but this was so good. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for sharing your story and 
just offering a fresh perspective mm-hmm. on, I want to say the air quote expat life, right? And the spiritual journey that you've been on. We want to right. know where can our listeners connect with you and what resources do you have available for them online? Okay. So you can follow me at Nicole Ray on Instagram is N-I-K-H-O-L-R-E-I, no underscore, no space. You can visit weareorganic.org to explore anything that we're offering. It can be from our relocation PDF guide, where we talk about immigration, customs, how to find a house, minimalism, how to avoid scams, like the whole nine, like just the intricacies of relocating and, you know, the basic necessities that you might stumble across when you get here. We have how to invest into gold because, you know, everything is going digital. And if you don't have an actual natural resource, you might be in trouble because all that savings won't mean anything anymore perhaps when the dollar loses value. That's another conversation. We also have a couple of products that we work with or use. You can have access to those like copper water flasks, which are really good for health. I know a lot of you already wear copper jewelry, but we kind of drink it because it's one of those those metals that the body needs. So we are organic.org. And then you can follow my partner, organic.zach. And I only say that because a lot of you want to see the tropics and he's always videotaping the local communities how they sell fruits, how the little kids are hustling, you know, fruits from their yards and on the streets and stuff. So I don't have too much of that on my page, but he does. So I think that if you want to see a day in the life in the village that we live in, which is an indigenous village of Agrifna people, y'all might really enjoy those visuals. And then I have a couple of services if you want to get into things like shadow work, spirit talk. I used to do eye readings, but I don't do them anymore. But spirit talk is more what eye readings should have been. So you get to kind of have a conversation and ask me questions that you want clarity on. And then It's not so much of me giving you something that you don't know as it is me kind of shamaning you in a way towards something that you already know, but you might be blocking out or denying. So that link is also on weareorganic.com as well as in my Instagram bio. It's like a book now button. So there's a couple of things that you can play with, but you know, you'd have to navigate and see like what you gravitated toward. And we also have a blog on 10 things that quote unquote unprivileged people should know about relocating to the tropics, like in great detail. So that's a cool blog to check out too on the same website that I just discovered. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nicole. We'll make sure that we add links to all of your resources in the show notes. And we just want to thank you again for offering your time and being with us and sharing your insight. Anytime. And thank you for having me. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the HerSpace podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit herspacepodcast.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Thanks for joining us today in Herspace. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health. But it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast or check out our website at HerSpacePodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Although my plans may change, I will stay committed to my purpose. We'll see you next week, lady.